um, a story uh, on the Newswire, and the Globe and Mail had a story about it today as well. Folks, I'll give you the thumbnail, and I'll sort of bring... Bob and Jeff know sort of about this, too, but I'll bring you up to speed. The senior official, the gentleman identified as a senior official, is John Frecker is his name, and he's deputy chairman of the Immigration and Refugee Board. And some months ago, there was a... Uh, conversation held between him and another board member and the other board member was talking about the office restructuring within the IRB and uh, used the term Stalinist. Now we presume from the context that he was talking about kind of, you know the uh, totalitarian the you know the authorities says do this whether you like it or not that idea. Mr. Frecker then and this is his contention after the fact um, said Z Kyle and again, in the context, we assume that he was sort of making another comment about, here's another, that was another totalitarian state, and so on and so on. Well, here's what happened after it. He has been forced to issue an apology for saying those two German words and allegedly giving the, the, the arm salute. Now, I am as sensitive as anyone to the atrocities perpetrated by the Nazis, and I don't think that uh, that um, their language or paraphernalia or anything else is appropriate in, in polite discourse. Uh, and I think this fellow maybe was a little inappropriate in his, in his remark. But having said that, the last time I checked, this was still putatively a free country. We still supposedly were free to say almost anything we wanted, as long as we weren't promoting hatred directly. And I have a little trouble with that rule, too. Um, Mr. Frecker was forced to, to uh, recant. Um, he is... Uh, uh, he did so. Yeah, but there, now this is becoming a bigger issue because other people are saying this is, this is typical of kind of the insensitivity of people at the, at the uh, IRB and so on and so on and so on. But I thought this morning I wanted to ask my two guests whether they had any concerns about, about this issue. Is this something we should be concerned about? My sense is that as offensive as it may be to remind people of uh, the past and remind them in this fashion that one of the prices we pay for not living in a, in a society like that of Nazi Germany is the idea that we are free to express ourselves. And uh, certainly someone who expresses himself in a, what this is presented to be, a joking manner. He was, he was uh, you know, going along with the conversation, kind of. And this turns into a whole issue because he used these two words in that one salute. Now, if I were to walk downtown today and stand on the corner of Dundas and Richmond and say Sieg Heil and give the Nazi salute, uh, I might get some flack from the people standing down there, but I haven't broken any laws. Nobody would have any right to demand that I do anything to, uh, to make up for having done that. And certainly, uh, unless the Ontario Human Rights Commission got involved, and that is a totalitarian organization, unless they got involved, I can pretty well do or say or do that any place I want. And I think rightly so, because it is supposedly a free country. Now, having set all that up for you folks at home and for Jeff and Bob, Jeff, I'm going to ask you right off the bat, do, do you agree with me? Should I be able to do that? Should you be able to stand at Dundas Richmond and say, say Kyle? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you should. 
I think, though, that this case is a bit different in the sense that you've got a fellow who is uh, deciding immigration cases and uh, in an atmosphere where there is uh, an extraordinary sensitivity to not to, to avoiding racism, for one thing, and avoiding sort of uh, the other kind of isms that have been problems in the past. Uh, I, I'm aware that there's this constant struggle between the right of free speech versus the right to uh, not have your, uh, you know, your, your heritage or where you came from or anything else sort of made fun of. Um, and I guess in the context of that, it seems to me that if this fellow apologized, that that's, that's not the most expensive thing in the world. If I heard he had been fired or something, I might be concerned about that. Let me read the apology to you, because I think this is interesting, too, and amplifies the, the discussion even more. This was his apology. He said, I regret having uttered words that may be taken even wrongly as mocking the victims of the Holocaust. I take this incident, incident rather, as a reminder of the need to be particularly sensitive to that fact that words have very different meanings in different contexts. Contexts. Hard to say that. Um, sure they do, but so what? So they have different meanings in different contexts. Well, so that's what? the thing about apologies is that they can say just about anything. It, it seems to me from the context of this that what the fellow was doing was well, he was re responding to somebody talking about something being Stalinist, uh, as I understand. So I would have so thought he was talking about... Word? Uh, how come somebody didn't have to apologize for using the word Stalinist? This know. brings to me the whole left-right-wing thing, you know. Right-wing labels are evil. Left-wing labels are good. Uh, you always hear about right-wing Christians. Mm -hmm. Got to worry about those right-wing Christians. Is there such a thing as a left-wing Christian? You bet there is. Mm -hmm. You betcha. You know, majority. If, so, in, so, fact, so yeah, in, <laughs> fact, in fact, if you're following the tenets of the Christian faith, you're almost automatically on the left. Right. Well, but the right-wing Christians, they're the bad guys. But in this know? case, and, this guy was presumably and, trying to describe a, a totalitarian well, thing. I don't know that it had anything to do I with thought, the Holocaust. It, so, yeah. in a way, it's sort of like, it, to me, they, they twisted the... Well, that's my point. That's my well, point. I agree with you on that part of it. Why should he have had to say anything at all about this? Well, no, my whole impression of this is this was an internal thing that was said off the cuff to someone just mm. in sort of passing jest. I've seen this done many times, and it's, I think it's an appropriate thing. If you're trying to uh, signify to someone that you think that they're behaving a little totalitarian or, or acting unilaterally, mm. you, you can mock Osieg Heil because that does speak to the atrocity of, of the point you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. It might be a little strong. This is reminiscent of a Toronto Sun ad I remember back in the 80s that was pulled, and it was an anti-censorship ad, and it read... Uh, the big headline was, and it was all in black, you know, it, it was, uh, why not let someone else think for you? In the middle of the page was this big swastika. The paper had to pull it because it offended the Jewish community, we were told. Now, I'm thinking to myself, if there's any lesson we should have learned from the last war is that censorship is, is a major evil. And that to draw the evil of that act to our attention, I think it's most appropriate to, to point mm -hmm. to a country that at one point in its history uh, went to the ultimate extreme on this issue. And yet, the very community that suffered most from those atrocities was the one that was being purported to be represented to pull this ad, as though we don't want to know about what really caused that atrocity in the first place. And I always thought this was a tremendous paradox, and I, I still see it happening today by various uh, Jewish groups that are that are running around chasing guys like Ernst Zundel and, and uh, you know, just sort of persecuting in reverse.
I, I, I think it's very interesting what you said about the use of the word Stalinist, too, that there is, at least as far as we know in the story, there was no complaint about that at all. Mm -hmm. When, in fact, Stalin persecuted Jews, gypsies, uh, you know, millions, political dissidents. Millions, uh, millions, millions and, and as far as we know, the, you know, the historic, historians, as reliable as these things can be, probably caused the deaths of three or four times as many people as Hitler did. Yes. I think, I think the Holocaust, as a Holocaust, when we refer to World War II, rates number number three in terms of the total devastation done and the number of lives affected. What were, not, what were one and two, just for our listeners? Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure. I think one of them was, was what you Stalin, just spoke yeah. about, and I'm not sure who number two was. Yeah. But uh, this is nothing new to human history. But you get into big trouble as soon as you use humor, it seems, in any of these situations. you know. And the problem is that uh, the thing you, you say, uh, perhaps even trying to mock the, uh, the people who, the original people, like if, when I hear Sig Heil in that context, what I hear is this person using the fact that uh, Hitler was, was a bad, bad guy uh, as saying, don't you be like him. Mm -hmm. it's, cri it's very critical of Hitler, I would have thought, in, mm -hmm. that, in that context. But you get into the subtlety of humor, and it can be hard to explain to people and hard to sort of get back to, this is what I was trying to say here. But should you have to do that? I mean, why? It, it, obviously this guy, now we don't know, we're not, we haven't talked to him, but from, from the tenor of the, the, uh, uh, of the article uh, and the news report, I get the sense that, I don't know if he was forced to do this, but certainly he felt he had to do it. And the wording of his apology suggests that, too, where he says, I regret having uttered words that may be taken even wrongly. That suggests to me well, that, that, you know, he said, you guys don't get it. Why should he have to do that in the first place? Why should he have had to explain that to anybody? I think largely because he's working for a government that believes in political correctness. If you go by the, the way the Ontario Human Rights Commission rulings go, it's the, the intention of the speaker is not ever an issue. It's the effect it has on the listener. And that's what you have to address. You may say something totally, uh, you know, in passing or that you think is inoffensive or maybe cute or whatever, and someone else takes offense at it. The way the, that a, the Human Rights Commission approaches it, they don't care what you really originally meant. It's, it's the results of, of your actions and your words that count, and you have to redress those. So... You know, you can create an industry in this victim type of mentality, which they've done, which they've done. And, and, it, and it pays a lot of people to become a victim so that they can make some claim on a person making, you know, innocent remarks. Usually true. Well, i got to get in briefly on this, that uh, you talk about the Human Rights Commission, and one thing that we haven't heard anything about in the context of this article is the Human Rights Commission. I would suggest to you, you know, obviously I take totally the opposite uh, approach as far as the Human Rights Commission and political correctness, which, by the way, I think for the most part is a good thing, although it's obviously taken too far somewhere. But there's nobody suggesting there's a human rights claim here, the human rights law has anything to do with this you or anything else. You think it's correct that, that a person who apologized to another office worker saying, I'm sorry if I said something that hurt, that hurt you, realizing where you come from. That well, you may have had all kinds of relatives killed in this thing. I made a joke. It turns out it hurt your feelings. I did never thought it would, but if it did, I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's not a bad thing to do. And that's, nobody's that's a far cry from a human rights commission, which which meets out punishments and 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 fines for for a person's words. Are you saying that, that a person should be punished this isn't for human their rights opinion? Case. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say by definition. If this if this individual, Miss Miss Goldman, who was the person who took exception. She could very easily have filed a complaint and go the human nowhere. Rights Commission. No, nobody's suggesting she, there's any human rights law. Been you don't think here. she would get anywhere with that? No. Well, we've seen cases go before the Human Rights Commission before, on well, no more serious than that. No. No. In this case, this person's made a joke. They say it was taken in a way they didn't intend. They apologize. That's the end of it, and, that, and that's appropriate. It's not inappropate to say that you apologize if you hurt somebody's feelings. On the other hand, nobody's suggesting it's going any further than this. But if so that's Canadian law. But if he hadn't apologized, 
I mean, what about what about our friend in London here, your friend Bob, uh, um, Mr. Elias? Oh, yeah. He was dragged through. No, wait a minute. He was just smiling at this. He was dragged. I've, I've acted against him a number of but times. But he was dragged through this whole thing for one comment he made. Oh, no. There's a lot more to it than that. This Jeff, there was only one reason he was before a human rights commission was because of the one comment quoted in the press and racial attributations attached to it by the media. Well, that's not true and, at all. And, and not fact, only that, in all, case in all the kinds precedent. of evidence of all kinds of things that he did, but certainly there was that one comment all as those a part other of a things big he case. Did that's had true. nothing to do with the Human Rights Commission. The Human Rights Commission is not there to to tell landlords how what condition they have to keep their apartments in and stuff like that. It's there for specifically racial and discriminatory types of issues. No, it's it, it's there if those kinds of issues come up in any context, including a landlord context, but say, the, the Alif case is something that's dramatically different from this one, and to me it highlights the difference in the case that in this case, this guy made a joke, it, it was taken by somebody uh, in a way that they that offended them, they said, I'm offended, he said, I'm sorry, that's the end of it. The Alif case was a huge case, went on over years, years worth of conduct, all kinds of things that uh, he had done, and it wasn't one comment by any means. Yes, it was and, one uh, comment, Well, Jeff, with I, respect to say, my, 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 my firm was the, the complaint firm that, is a uh, single comment. I've acted against him a number of We're not going to agree took on years the facts to in this case, I can see that. Well, the but, facts uh, speak for themselves. I mean... And there were lots of them. And, and anyone who wants them is, is welcome to them. But the issue here is you are stating explicitly that you believe that, a, that an instrument like the Ontario Human Rights Commission should exist and should punish people for having politically incorrect views. So, I mean, I, I regard 90% no, of what I say is politically incorrect and probably racist in a lot of ways, too. I don't see the words politically correct anywhere in the Human Rights Code. The Human Rights Code specifically says you can't discriminate against people on the following grounds, and it sets them all out. You know, But realistically, that's a law. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came because there was a demand for it. There was a problem that was recognized. Well, uh, there was a, I'm not sure there was a demand from the public for it, Jeff. Oh, I think so. They elected the government that brought them in, which was a progressive conservative government. Uh, it wasn't a government that was a left-wing government. It was a right-wing government. Oh, I that don't argue with you there. So, uh, but anyway, hey, let's go to the phone. Six four three twelve ninety is the telephone number if you'd like to join our discussion today. Star twelve ninety is the Cantel Cellular free call. And Jim's with us. Hi, Jim. Golly, this is this is my favorite hour. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, I take offense to the left wing and the right wing. So where do we go with that? <laughs> um, I think we live in a totalitarian society, and I'm sick and tired of chairman. John Cretchen. Now, do I go to jail for that? Well, you see my I, point? No, I do. And well, and that was a left-wing label, though, so it sort of it sort of <laughs> fits. fits. You know, <laughs> you know, like chairman is a corporate label. Let me ask you this question: Can a member of the PC party be a part of the immigration board, Jeff? We have no problem with that. Of course. How about an NDP? Uh, yeah. I think. How about how about member of the National Socialist Party of Canada? Uh, is that the Nazi party? I, I don't know. I'm just asking you. Would know. he be allowed to, would a, would a, would a member of the, of the Nazi party, duly elected, be uh, eligible to sit on the uh, immigration board? Anybody can sit on, but uh, but you raise an interesting point, and that is that fellow in Ottawa recently who was hired to uh, run the hospital, and he uh -huh. was a former uh, uh, separatist candidate. Like, there's a deeper issue here, isn't there, than just this Sig Heil thing? Mm. Yeah. Because let's not forget that Hitler was elected. He didn't storm the Bastille and take 30,000 troops and murder so many Germans. He was, he was an elected official. And when you look at um, um, uh, Robert's comments about the Stalin and the Khmer Rouge, these were uh, eventually, initially elected, but they murdered millions and millions of people. These were governments that were elected. And, and what's to say we, we might not have an NDP government federally? God forbid, but we should. They're going to be elected. 
why couldn't they sit on immigration boards? Well, the next question is, why can't a Nazi sit on immigration board? I mean, do we live in a free country, or do we not live in a free well, country? Well, I think my, my contention today is that we don't. No, I, I don't believe we do. And another issue you want to talk about this morning, if you want to go on a bunny trail, is this thing with the Reform Party and the Prime Minister appointing senators. Mm -hmm. He's got more power than the President of the United States. Well, by far. By yeah. far. He, well, he's got a lot he nominates less, the Privy Council, he nominates the Supreme Court judges, I mean, and on... Well, I want to. He could also be fired any day of the week by the uh, Liberal Party of Canada. Oh, and oh when was the last on. time yeah. that happened? Well, what what happened planet are you from for crying out what loud? Happened to Margaret Thatcher? Yeah, well, that that was across the pond. Their their government. Same not, system. It's not the same system. Okay. And and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. The key difference why in the in the British system, if you look in the last twenty years, thirty years, the number of cabinet ministers who have resigned in the, under the British parliamentary system for what I'll loosely call malfeasance, and compare that to Canada, it is not the same system at all. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I want a Nazi on the immigration board. No. That, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's a foundational issue here that sometimes we seem to overlook into society, that we look at all the peripheral rather than the foundational. Are we a free society? Does Jim Chapman have the right to say, hey, listen, we live in a country that resembles Nazi Germany. Sieg Heil, Mr. Prime Minister. Does he have the right well, sure. to say that? Yeah, the other thing is, as far as your question about Nazis and should Nazis be on the board, I think that it's that what would happen, the people who are looking at hiring would say, have you done things or have you said things in the past that are inconsistent with this job, whether it's within a party or outside of a party? And, and if you have, they could say, well, no, we don't think you should be sitting here. So you have no problem with an avowed homosexual being on the human rights board then? Is there not a conflict of interest there with Keith Norton? To be on a human rights commission? Yeah. Well, no, no more so than a heterosexual, uh, as far as I can think. Oh, I, I, think, I think there may be a conflict of interest when you're ruling on issues that are, are so applicable. So if, if he again, can sit on the one board, why can't the Nazi sit on the immigration board? <laughs> but, uh, again, if you're somebody who says, I belong to a terrorist organization, at night we go and bomb things, then I think that they could, could legitimately say, we don't think you should sit on our commission. What happens if the terrorist is elected by the people? Well, they won't, they won't be serving on a commission. They'll be elected by somebody, and anybody can be elected in this country. I don't think there's any uh, restriction on being elected just because you're a terrorist. Not yet. Appreciate the call, Jim. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Ivan's with us. Good morning, Ivan. You know what I'm concerned about, Jim? What's that? I'm concerned that the RCMP are going to knock on my door one day. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why is that? Because, because the way I speak out. Mm -hmm. Did you watch the national news yesterday? No. Well, I watched it, and what happened when that APEC meeting is not much different of what happened at the square in China. Mm -hmm. They had their pepper spraying people. They had the dogs after them. They were arresting people. They were holding them for 14, 14 hours without any charges being laid. Mm -hmm. We're in trouble. And that man that got on before, Jim, <laughs> it, that he says, Chairman Kretchen, he's right. We don't have a we, we have a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. We're in bad trouble. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's wrong with these. I don't know what's wrong with our people in this country. Don't they realize what's happening to our country? They still vote him in. I'm tired of You know, you know, I'm not. I speak my piece. You know that, Jim. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the RCMP will knock on my door sometimes and arrest me. 
I'm, well, I'm really concerned, honestly. Yeah, you're right. And uh, you look at uh, Clayton Ruby, for instance. Who's, there's a huge, thick RCMP file on him. He's been trying to get it for years and has been unable. He's gone to the Supreme Court of Canada. He's a left-wing lawyer. Been trying to get the file on him. He's a bencher of the Law Society, one of the most respected lawyers in Canada, and he can't get his RCMP file. And the Supreme Court of Canada said, "Yeah, that's right. It's security. Too bad." I, and, and you're saying we're that's in a bad in thing. In, in this country, country. It's a good thing. Real, real bad. <laughs> Kretchen was in Cuba chastising Castro about his. Uh, about his human rights. He said, give people freedom. And then when it came about the hepatitis C, he threatened all his MPs. Mm -hmm. Jim, we're in bad shape. No, it's, I'm a point, you. it's a good point. Appreciate your call. Have a great day, Jim. Thanks for letting me on. Okay, no problem. Uh, I want to come back to something you said, Jeffrey. You said that Chrétien does not have as much power as Bill Clinton. Now, were you talking about military power? No, in terms of political power, that, uh, and, you know, you can say that, that uh, Clinton's got a bit more of this, Chen's got a bit more of that, but one thing that uh, I think often people don't appreciate is that in our Canadian Constitution, there's no such thing as a prime minister, uh, that we have a parliamentary system where everybody elects MPs. By convention, over the years, the MPs have gathered together into parties. By convention, they've gathered, uh, they've uh, uh, elected leaders, but uh, none of that is set out in a Constitution. There's no constitutional right to be prime minister. It's just something that happens because a bunch of MPs get together in a party and then vote for one guy to be the leader. Well, isn't that even, that makes it even scarier if we, t if we accept that, that definition because look what you've got. You've got one fellow who has no constitutional existence at all who, who literally is running this country the way he sees fit. It's, wor oh, yeah. it's worse it's all by convention. All the political parties have created laws that virtually keep them entrenched in power to keep smaller parties out. This is something I know about very mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. um, we went to our, you know, and they do it by regulating you. Mm -hmm. this is, they regulate you for the, for the public good. Mm -hmm. This is what they're telling us. And uh, we went to a meeting in, uh, as Freedom Party representatives with all the other alternative parties other than the big three to the Ontario Elections Commission a few years ago. And we were told some out outrageous things. For example, in our campaigns, Freedom Party's campaign against the Ontario Human Rights Commission, when we campaign as a political party in Ontario, we're not allowed to give the usual tax credits that we're allowed to give on any other issue. But they told us explicitly that if we wanted to campaign for gender equity in the legislature, we could give tax credits for that. Now, see, in the, it, that's how they... They regulate control and give you disincentives. But at the same time, they'll tell you, oh, we can't stop you from doing whatever you want to do. Well, they also well, they charge you a lot of money they, to run for but, the office. But they so you don't get a minimum themselves. number of votes, it costs you a min. Well, you're right. Well, and that minimum number of votes, by the way, is 15%, at which point Ontario taxpayers are forced to pay for the political campaigns of the other political parties, which I think is something that should be ended immediately. I agree. But there are all kinds of, uh, of political restrictions that prevent any alternatives from coming out. They prevent independents from running. An independent hasn't got a chance. You have to go through the political party system. And, and the controls on the media uh, that range from everything disguised as equal time I found out that what equal time means is equal time in proportion to your relative support. Mm -hmm. So if you get 2% of the vote, your equal time is 2%. How do you know what your, uh, interesting question though, how do you know what your relative support is prior to the last election, or the election when, uh, when the conservatives were reduced to two people? Well, they go by, they go by the, the head count or the vote. I don't know what they use, but, they, but they're very arbitrary about it. I mean, uh, well, why, why, what's wrong with the public, though, paying for the election campaign? What would be wrong with saying, for example, because 
the, one of the problems with alternative parties and alternative candidates, and we see it in London every municipal election, you'll get some, some wards with 10, 12, 14 people running, but three quarters of whom have no business being there. And I don't mean to insult anybody, but they have no business being there. They don't understand the process. They don't know what's going on. They don't know the issues. They're not, you know, they can't, they can't put their thoughts together co coherently, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got to be careful, I think, about, about opening the doors completely because you could paralyze the system. But say you had some kind of a situation where you've got to have some kind of minimal public support. I don't know what that is. Maybe, you know, 1,000 people, 5,000, 10,000, I don't know, but some number somewhere. So you can't just, you know, step out of the box. But say you had that, so you meet that, you meet that criteria. What would wrong, be wrong then with the public funding each one of those parties with exactly the same amount of money, and that's all you can spend on your election campaign? Because, because then you are supporting someone else's point of view that you may you're being forced to support, rather, someone else's point of view but that you may not agree but are with. You That's not, almost are you, worse than censorship. But are you not maintaining a fair, level playing field? You're not taking into account no, the no, fact no, no, that... No, 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 no. You don't think that, so? No. Uh, that all these regulations that are supposed to give us a step up, and, I'm, and believe me, I'm speaking as a member of a very, quote, small fringe party, okay, uh, do the very opposite. They handicap us like you would not believe. Um, how would you be handicapped if in the next election you had the same, uh, the same election budget as the PCs, well, the Liberals, and the NDP? How would well, that handicap An election budget? Because that's not the issue. You, can't, you cannot distribute to any, any comer along you know, that, that uh, we're going to have the taxpayer fund your campaign. That's up to the individual. You have to earn your support, I well, think, so in a free society. Should we put a cap on it then? Well, there are caps on it. I know, I but don't should, believe should they be more reasonable? Uh, no, I don't believe we should have caps on it. I don't think there should be spending controls or fund, fund controls. The government can control all at once in terms of giving out tax credits. That's fine. I don't, I don't really worry about that. But, but to actually control your activities and tell you where you can put your efforts and where you can't is unacceptable. I mean, we're supposed to be in a democracy. Well, one of the phenomena of that is that people, uh, and particularly companies, tend to vote or tend to give uh, donations to the, to the party that's in power at the time. Like we see when the Tories are in power, they have the most corporate donations. When the Liberals are in power, they have the most corporate donations. In a way, by, by not regulating it, it's sort of uh, maintaining the status quo. Um, well, no, that's what's happening now, Jeff, under the regulated system. Uh, but if it was unregulated, it would seem like it would be even see, more pronounced. It, com it comes down more to what our governments are doing and why these people are giving money to various political parties, and it really comes down to their policies. We're, we're in a hopeless situation under a first-past-post system. We're just never going to have a representative democracy. And to the extent that, the, that these various, the other political parties have gone to extreme degrees of trying to censor political opinion, especially during elections. For example, the gag laws that uh, groups like the NCC fought, fought, where the three federal parties all agreed that no one who was not a political party was not allowed to spend more than $5,000 mm -hmm. expounding their personal point of view during a federal campaign. I mean, can you think of such a thing, that, you know, even existing or even someone even dreaming it up in their wildest undemocratic dream? Well, and yet they've been going after this kind yeah. of legislation time and time again. But that's the same, to my mind, that's the same impetus that drives this whole idea that, that if what I say offends you, that it's my problem and not your problem. 
It's the same thing. It's, it comes from the same place. You look at you look at an ideal picture of society. Well, the ideal picture would be on the in the electoral sense. You've got the three parties that obviously speak for everybody. One, you know, one of the three of them speak. I'm, I'm just talking about the, mm -hmm. their perception. One one of the three of them speaks for everybody in Canada. These are the legitimate parties. We don't want our system cluttered up by a whole bunch of yahoos who are out there saying anything they want because they got a few bucks. So we're going to put these rules in place. Now I'm not saying that's right because I believe it's wrong. But it's the same thing. We're not going to let you, Jeff, say such and such and so and so because it might offend Bob. So it's not a problem between you and Bob. The government's going to step in and we're going to fix that for you. Well, I, uh, but I understand, though, that the, the reason for that is that uh, they're worried about the loophole where, for instance, the uh, liberals are limited in the amount of uh, advertising they can do during an election because of the rules. So instead of doing that, they just have, you know, their friendly corporate uh, donor put out all kinds of ads saying how wonderful the liberals are. That's fine, and that fixes that problem, but it creates another problem. Oh, yeah, true. So if uh, you want to equalize the playing field that way, the only, only kind of rule that could do it is to tell all political parties and candidates they're not allowed to spend any money. Zero. That would definitely guarantee equality. Other than that, it isn't going to be achieved. And I often wonder if that wouldn't be a good idea, because uh, people would have to find out about the political parties the hard way, put a little bit of effort, mm -hmm. go to the all-candidates debates. Mm -hmm. uh, don't just listen to the, the so-called propaganda. Um, but you have a problem at the all-candidates debates, too. I've moderated them at, 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 uh, at the uh, provincial level and at the federal level, and it's impossible. You've got two or three candidates that you know they're the ones who are going to draw the, the majority. You just know. Mm -hmm. these, these are the bright lights. They're going to get the votes. You've got another six people there who are exercising their right, and I don't dispute that at all. Um, I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to do that, but the ultimate result is that most all-candidates meetings are meaningless because you, the candidates don't have time to address the issues. Well, you don't have the kind of, of debate. You don't have the Lincoln-Douglas debates because you can't do that. Imagine the Lincoln-Douglas debates if there had been seven other candidates running. <laughs> you know, I mean, A six-week or, or a soon-to-be four-week election campaign period, is. is you're, you're right. It's absolutely a ridiculous period of time in trying to get people to know about the political parties and what they represent. That's why that's, to me, the kind of activity that has to go out, you know, between elections. We're going to pause for a moment. When we come back, we're going to talk about ethnic humor and whether that crosses this line we're talking about. Stay with us. More to come on Left, Right, and Center. Show host that used to beat his wife and kick his kids around. Oh, yeah, I did it all the time. In fact, you know, talk show hosts, they, they, they're noted for doing that. They're noted for being really rude and awful people. They'll steal from you. They'll rob from you. They'll kick you when you're down. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're really bigoted and biased about religion. Now, I can say all of those things. I'm exaggerating, but I can say all of those things, and nobody listening to me today, unless you're a talk show host, can really gainsay that. Because in our society, we accept that because I'm attacking what I am, that's okay. Let's suppose I were a comic. I have a friend who's a comic, and he's Jewish. And a big part of his act is about his Jewishness. And it's not a positive act. It's a very negative act. He talks about his family and his parents and his, his money-grubbing uncle and all of this sort of stuff. Reinforces all the negative stereotypes of Jewish people. But because he's Jewish himself, nothing happens. If you've ever seen Billy Connolly, a very funny guy, but a certain percentage of his humor is very much knocking the Scots. He's a Scot. He can get away with it. Monty Python used to do vicious satires of English people. Just absolutely vicious, awful, horrible things. But they were English, so they could do it. Now, I'm going to ask you two guys, why is it that our society accepts that, 
But if, 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 if my Jewish friend were to start making jokes about the Scots and vice versa, if somebody complained, the Human Rights Commission would be in there. Why? Wh how, what does that tell or Does it tell us anything useful about our society? And is, the, is, sh is that proper? I mean, if we're going to stop the Scottish guy from slagging the Jewish guy, shouldn't we stop the Jewish guy from slagging the other Jewish people? Uh, you know, this, maybe that's a Canadian problem. I'm just thinking of some American comics, and I can't apply that to them. I, I can still remember Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live uh, singing a reggae song, Kill the White People. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can remember uh, Arsenio Hall. Even last night he was on Jay Leno. And he was broadcasting from somewhere live. And he, he made some jokes about being amongst all these white people. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and, and these people have made a certain fame in the United States on this kind of humor. I don't know that you see too much of it in Canada. I mean, when you've got shows like Howard Stern being being you know to the point of censored where i understand one of his last shows in montreal was was one third yeah. censored yeah. because he was making uh jokes about another word you're not supposed to use the mentally retarded i guess they were running a, mm -hmm. a game show on uh, for mentally retarded people yeah. and that was just totally inappropriate yeah so how a show can even maintain its ratings and not get canceled when when the most uh, outrageous and offensive stuff which i would think is what people are tuning in the howard stern for mm -hmm. If that's being cut, you're, you're, you're killing the, the product, as far as I'm concerned, as offensive as it might be to some people. But if you're the guy who's ra who owns the radio station and you've got to pay the bills, don't you have the, don't you have oh, sure. the right to say that I don't want this guy in my station because well, yeah. I don't think people uh, well, don't like him? I didn't get the impression, though, that the station was fully exercising that right. I, I think, it, especially in Quebec, you've got, you've got all kinds of problems. Let's face it, Howard Stern first got in trouble in Canada for a comment he made about the French yeah canadians yeah and uh so i could see the pressure being put on and the station even said that a lot of their quote voluntary censorship was was being done because of pressures being put on by quote industry standards and the crtc mm -hmm. so so that 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 invisible hand or shall we say the visible hand of government is very much there but see i don't Personally, I don't believe them when they say that. I think they did it because they were concerned about revenues. And I said it earlier on the show today, and in the radio business today, you've got to have that money crossing the desk. And it doesn't matter how big your audience is, if that audience isn't delivering to your advertisers, you're off the air. You could have the lot. You could have everybody in the city listening to you, but if they're not patronizing the the advertisers, or if the advertisers are not buying advertising on the show because they object to the show, then that shows off the air. Well, and I, I think that's, that's what happened to Howard. That may well be part of it, but it's very difficult to objectively determine what percentage that role took place. I mean, well, as long as you're in this environment with the CRTC controlling so many things. Um, it's difficult to say what, what was the cause and what yeah, was the effect. I, my belief is they would have fought the CRTC to the ground on this one if he'd been making money for them, because he certainly had the audience. I don't know that a radio station wants to fight its regulator. I, I, I think you would find that uh, Chome, which is a part of a, of a large chain, you're going to see this more and more. You're going to see more of the large broadcasters where there's a consolidation of business, as everybody knows. You're going to see more and more of those large groups saying the CRTC make me. Come on, you make me. You want to go to court? Okay, we'll go to court. How much money you got? How long do you want to do this? It's going to happen. It's coming. I tell you, it's well, coming. Well, I, I, I look forward to that day. <laughs> there's, there's gonna, there is a change coming in the, in the broadcasting industry. How soon it's going to happen, I don't know. But the bigger these organizations get, the more resentful they become of what they see as unreasonable 
restrictions by the CRTC, and the more likely they are to fight them. Uh, but uh, Jeff, I want to I want to kind of re-ask the question again, though, about this this ethnic stuff. As long as you're slag, as long as you're slagging white lawyers, you're safe. It's highly unlikely that anybody's going to mount any kind of cha challenge, legal or human rights or anything else. You start slagging black lawyers, and look out, scout. Why is it that it's acceptable for us to, to, for you to slag white lawyers? Why is that okay, but you couldn't do it to black lawyers? I don't know, although I think it's acceptable for anybody to slag white lawyers, actually. I've never heard anybody suggest there's a problem with that. And I think that part of that plays back to the idea that lawyers are perceived in society as not being a, a, a minority. They're not perceived as sort of uh, ever having been victims of anything. They're the overdogs. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of the attributes that people make jokes about, I think, are are ones that are pretty well deserved. Well, you know, I don't... I, I don't want to come back to your get, question. Yeah, I don't want to get yeah. stuck on I don't that. No, that's really interesting. I, I've never really thought about that before, as to why it is okay to make fun of your own. Uh, well, should own it be okay? Thing. Should it be okay? Why? Why? Are, why is that any less insulting or any less damaging? If I make disparaging comments about talk show hosts or white Anglo-Saxons, because I think there's no no implied possibility of threat there. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about my example of Eddie Murphy. You what would have happened if it was a white guy saying, standing up there singing a song, kill all the black people? Mm -hmm. That would not have been acceptable. Why not? Because, uh, because of the perception. I think because of the, the history behind it and, and the whole air of political correctness. I mean, it, it, it comes a fine line where you cross the line between what is appropriate behavior because of just being polite and respectful mm -hmm. to other people and why, when we start behaving a certain way because someone's forcing us to or well, there are legal consequences. But the Saturday Night Live... doing it uh, voluntarily. Like, why do you have people who are re representative of a minority making jokes about that minority and wanting to do it? And, and I would argue that, in fact, there's something satisfying about doing that. Uh, and I don't know whether an element of that is that it's sort of a matter of standing up to these stereotypes and sort of ridiculing them yourself. Yeah, but it's, it's satisfying to pop somebody in the mush if they're, if they're way out of line, too. But we don't do that. Because it's not acceptable. Well, you know something? But why do they want to? I'm just making a point here that maybe I'll just bounce off of, and that's that I know that the occasional time I've seen comedians pick on their own uh, ethnic background, could be Mexican, black, whatever, and if they're very engaging and endearing about it in some way, they open a lot of doors to other people. You, you get an insight into, you know, through humor some of the, the nuances of their culture or the, or the way they act. Or is, the way, uh, and, and generally, we find that everyone's human. I mean, we've all got things to laugh about. But aren't they, aren't, don't they tend to be stereotypical, though? I mean, those, well, those, yes, those kinds of things. Yes, that's the point. Well, well, there's there's the risk of getting over no to the humor. Uncle Tom area as well. You know that uh, I think it would now be argued that uh, there were the, the um, what are they called uh, blackface uh, acts mm -hmm. in uh, vaudeville and so on, mm -hmm. uh, Al Jolson and so on. They had the Uncle Tom uh, image, and that at one time uh, people sort of traded on that. Whereas I think now that would be perceived as being offensive, and that if you if you were a member of that minority group and it was perceived that when you were saying these things you really meant them and you really were taking a shot at your at your group then you would be in trouble. Somehow there's a difference between going over into the, totally into you, the other camp or might, sort of representing your, your, your own folks. You might be in trouble with your own folks, but here in Canada you would not be in trouble with anybody else. What I'm saying is, again, cross the line. Take the white comic disparaging blacks or the black comic disparaging whites. In this country, they'd end up before a human rights commission somewhere or there'd be a lawsuit, there'd be a defamation lawsuit, there'd be something would happen. It would not happen. 
if the black on black or white on white or, or Chinese on Chinese, whatever, whatever the what, whatever ethnic background you want to take or but national that, background. Yeah, it's interesting. That it sort of reminds me as well of uh, though the idea that if you're a, a representative of a particular group, is it possible to discriminate against that group, for instance? Uh, the sort of flip side of that, if you like, I was struck when the Reform Party were in town recently that they've got all kinds of people in the party who are representatives of visible minorities and everything else and say, you know, this shows that we're not a, a party that's racist and all that kind of stuff. And then you have analysts saying, well, you know, just because you've got these people in there doesn't mean that your policies don't still discriminate against people like that. Uh, it gets it gets very confusing to me, actually. Folks, you're listening to Talk of the Town on 1290CJBK. This is Left, Right, and Center with uh, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz and Jim Chapman here. <sighs> I'm still struggling with this, and neither one, of you, neither one of you guys have answered this for me. I don't know what kind of answer you're looking for. Well, you know, I, 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 re I recall Richard Pryor. He used to use the N-word all the time. All the time. And it took him quite a while. I, I saw him in an interview where he finally decided he wasn't going to use it anymore mm -hmm. because I guess members of his own community started to impress upon him the image that that projected to other cultures mm -hmm. about, about themselves. And I guess given his popularity and his role he realized that he he wasn't just a little nobody he's he's, he's a he's, he's going to be a figure to be followed in mm -hmm. some way or other mm -hmm. and so he cleaned up his act in that sense and he's and, been and a big a lot of, ever since that's what i was just going to say and a lot of people would say that was the end of his career yeah and uh you know so that so it's a very interesting thing i think people want to see you know when you go to the to the so-called funnier uh, comics I generally think they have pretty raunchy humor either sexual or ethnic mm -hmm. I mean you, you you get into that and people mm -hmm. and I think there are places appropriate for that but certainly we don't want to see too much of that on what we call the public airwaves and that's why we have more private avenues for that kind of entertainment but I'm, I'm still troubled by the fact that that we would expend so much energy and Jeff and his cohorts are so happy to have their Ontario Human Rights Commission we would expend so much energy to get the the the, cr the cross ethnic line anybody who crosses that line we'd expend all kinds of money and 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 energy and time and whatever to nail that son of a gun because you can't do that that's discriminatory but but we don't you guys you left wing guys you don't seem to care well, well for one thing the human rights commission obviously doesn't spend very much time on jokes they have a serious job but they do with serious discrimination well but, i'm not uh, so sure i think they're a joke more times than not but that's no another. but is they how many people are are filing human rights commission complaints that are being upheld because someone told a joke i would suggest that i'd be surprised if there's ever been one but but aside from that the other aspect though is that i look at what what is humor and uh, in a way it sort of comes back to uh, i remember i don't know if it was a monty python sketch where john cleese or somebody gives a serious discourse on humor humor consists of four elements bang 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 and in a way what is it that's funny about those kinds of jokes is it that there's that they are getting into a risky area matter. sacred cows? doesn't matter why they're funny that has nothing to do with it at all because well, well you're 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 trying to suggest that if it's funny enough that it, that the rest of it doesn't matter no no i'm saying that uh, why is it funny what's well, funny about it? i don't think it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't maybe think that's why people aren't doing those jokes in reverse because people don't find them funny and if that's the truth then we do have to answer the question what makes something funny but in a way, the idea of a bunch of black guys wearing Ku Klux Klan robes, for instance, is perhaps funny because it's improbable, because it's sort of the opposite of what uh, the normal expectation is. But true, but if you were a black individual who had someone in your family lynched by the Ku Klux Klan, I wonder how funny you'd find that. Exactly. Well, you wouldn't find, you know, some, some comedians make fun of death. They have a lot of jokes mm -hmm. about death. I mean, nobody finds death, quote, funny when it hits you. But we can laugh at anything. I mean, tragedy, I guess, is the main substance of comedy, mm -hmm. really. Um, that's what I remember, what little I remember from taking Shakespeare. 
Um, and and it's uh, you you have to relate the two. It's the contrast that that I think is largely creative of the humor that, that creates the things that we laugh at. So as, mean, we're, we're, it, so as long as we're laughing hard enough, it doesn't matter what we're saying. No, uh, it's just that that just sort of speaks to what maybe makes us laugh. After that, there's always responsibility for what you're saying, but one should never have to be held uh, legally liable for an opinion or just because someone offended someone. I think fundamental in a free society is the right to disagree with one another. Okay, so and, I, say, I say people of German descent are chuckleheads. That's perfectly all right. I mean, as far as the law, the law shouldn't be able to tell you not to be able to say that. Well, I think worse than that, I think you've got a terrible history or a disgusting bunch of people. Fine. No, I can say that because I'm of German background, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of covered, as right? Anybody comes out, any, <laughs> all three of us. Imagine that, three Germans but, sitting here, are you in our left, right, center? Anybody, right. anybody comes back to me, I can say, hey, listen, that's my background. Those are my people. I can say what I want. Well, I'm, st I'm still not sure, that, and I'm not saying that I shouldn't be able to, but what I'm saying is, or what I'm asking is, why do we allow that, but we don't allow it across the lines? If we're going to be honest about this, if I can say that about people of German extraction, say anything I want and get away with it, why can't I say it about anybody else? And it may be that we're, that we're going to head in that direction. I don't know. Like you talk about uh, Richard Pryor. To me, where it becomes unfortunate is where humor is often an extremely effective way of conveying something to people that gets into emotions that otherwise you can't mm -hmm. tap with an essay and the unfortunate ones are where somebody says something using humor to try to make a point about something being wrong and and somebody not getting the joke not appreciating that it's supposed to criticize the thing that it illustrates and i look at uh, mark twain as an example uh you know where you've got school boards all over the place wanting to ban huckleberry finn mm -hmm. saying it's racist and it's like no it's an anti-racist book well you look at uh, seinfeld the soup nazi episode that raised yeah. that raised a a pardon the pun, or the, uh, the uh, well, I guess it's a pun, the furor, yeah. not, not to be confused with the furor, I raised a furor among certain groups in the United States uh, who took great exception to the use of the word Nazi in that context. And oh, in man. fact, but in fact, but it was a big deal. In fact, he was using it in the reverse. He was trying to point out that this kind of behavior was inappropriate, it was bad, it was uh, antisocial, it was counterproductive in the context of still being it, funny. You know, it's not for nothing that... that Ain't, you know, in, in history, the kings had fools, and and that uh, the spoken word and com comedy was was so so much state oriented and restricted because it was the major means by which the people criticized their government mm -hmm. through comedy and through music mm -hmm. often as well, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so, so it's not too surprising that, that we have that conflict in society and that government has that interest in regulating that kind of thought. But to get to your point, I, I was going to ask you personally, would you feel comfortable personally yourself telling a joke about another race besides yourself? Would you feel personally comfortable? I would. As comfortable, let's say, as you would... No, no, I wouldn't, no. No, there's a reason for that. Why, why, why would you say that? No, I, I don't know, and that's what I'm trying to get at today. I don't know why I would be... More, less comfortable talking about someone yeah. else. Just, just Seems to me that it should be the same thing. Seems to me I shouldn't be slagging anybody. Well, yes, but we're talking in a context of humor. Sure we're not slagging well, politicians. Lawyers. Lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to pause for just a second. More to come on Left, Right, and Center. This is Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz, and we're going right back to the phones with Michael. Good morning, Michael. Morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, for the last several minutes, you've been asking a question about uh, why is it seem or perceived okay that uh, a member of a certain ethnicity yeah. can talk about uh, their own group? Yeah. And like you were saying there with the Germans and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah. It's not that you can or cannot. It's just that it's uh, an inherent human nature. Uh, are, we're very defensive people. 
I mean, it, it's it's like maybe you know that your mother has hairy legs, mm-hmm. and it's a joke within the family. Mm-hmm. But you don't want anybody from outside the family saying that. Why? Then you become defensive. But it's why? Not that it's right or wrong. No, it's, but I'm it's still just that defensive thing that's I'm still, inherent within us. I'm, well, I'm not sure it's inherent. I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's instinctual, but my, my question would be, and I understand, I know exactly what you're you know saying. You know what I'm saying? Exactly what you're saying, but my question then would be, why would you, if, if it was offensive for somebody else to talk about your mother's hairy legs, why would anybody in the family talk about it? I mean, they are the people who should be the most sensitive to hurting somebody's feelings. So, but, but it's not perceived as hurting. It's, it's, it's more of a joke because we all know well, why does it, you would love her, obviously. But why does you know, it, it may come up as a family thing. Or, or, or Richard Pryor telling jokes. He, the black community gets it because mm-hmm. it's a black saying it mm-hmm. or a Mexican. Mm-hmm. But if it was a white person standing it, they're not going to find that funny. Why not? Because they're not part of the group. You know, it's not part of that nucleus. It's not part of, you know what I mean? They, they just don't get it. I, I, you understand I, what I'm trying to say? Oh, absolutely, but it's still, I still haven't found the answer to my que- question. I don't think... I it's, not, it's not a question of being right or wrong. It's no, how no. it's perceived, and if you're not a member of that organization or that family or that uh, whatever, it, yeah, it I, just seems to be... Uh, I think I get your point, instinctively. Michael. No, 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 one of you guys can probably help me out. It, it's sort of, I think, like... Like if you're you're if you're making jokes about your own ethnic group, you're at least in a position to know more about that group well, than somebody and in a way from the you're outside. You're making fun of yourself. Which yeah, is fun. Well, that's right, and that's what a lot of comics do. You look at a Rodney Dangerfield. You know, his humor is all about nobody respects me. You know, like lots of families, I'm sure, have all kinds of private jokes, but they wouldn't want it to get out on the street <laughs> mm-hmm. or to have the neighbors talking about mm-hmm. it in the same mm-hmm. way because it wouldn't be funny then because so they're think, not part of the joke. So the you people, think the other people from outside the group? So the leavening agent has to do with with respect and affection within the group but outside the group you know you don't know whether they're well, you, you're right, right you don't know yeah. whether they mean it or yeah. whether, because they aren't really part of the joke themselves right right good point today michael okay Jeff. thanks for joining us bye-bye yeah i think he's as close as we've got so far as I, to why that works i would say so and i think he's also identified that i think that question is more a social one where it gets scary is when it becomes a political one but that's where we yeah, started yeah. from today in this right. part of the program because there are situations in which that has become political and despite i think our discomfort at a politically incorrect comic or somebody cracking jokes about someone who's not of his ethnic background i don't think that that the CRTC or the government or the Ontario Censor Board has a right to come in and censor that because they feel it's inappropriate. I'm even hearing talk about taking certain references uh, out of movies like Gone with the Wind. I well, mean, Turner does that kidding. all the time. Yeah, he heavily censors, censors those movies. He wouldn't release, uh, what was that movie, Crash, you know, that Canadian movie mm-hmm. with sexuality. But I think that the, the idea of respect is, is sort of illuminating, and, and to take that back to this comment, uh, I think there's irony in the fact that I think, again, when this guy said Sig Heil, what he meant to uh, condemn was Hitler, mm-hmm. by implication to support everybody who was hurt by Hitler. He was showing respect for everybody who had been hurt by Hitler in making this remark, and yet it comes back and is taken as a sign of disrespect by by a group. Uh, in a way, with humor, the problem is somebody's just not going to get the joke. All right, let's go back to the phones. Greg's with us. Hi, Greg. Yeah, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, Greg. Yeah, no, I was just, uh, uh, I do comedy Yeah. Um, on occasion, mm-hmm. and I think the main thing about uh, ethnic humor is uh, the intent of the humor, which is, is really how it's perceived, because I do ethnic jokes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt I, I've had no problem getting away with them. I think it's only how you do it. 
Well, I hear what you're saying, but my question would still be why then? Why are we as a society ready to forgive you that because of the way you say these things? Well, again, it's, it's your intent. Do you intend to hurt the person or do you intend to poke, uh, you know, fun at the human race in general and our perceptions of each other, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Ra rather than just pick out a, a specific group and, uh, you know, try to belittle them? Well, are there, are there certain groups that you would not... Do that for, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this, and I, and I want people to understand these two words go together. Fundamentalist, uh, three words, militant Muslims. Would you mock them in a comedy routine? <laughs> well, so far I haven't found much funny about fundamental uh, <laughs> militant Muslims. Well, they, oh, they, but, but it has been done, obviously. I mean, well, I'm not sure that it hasn't, and, and I shouldn't really say there are lots of other. I could have it's not Muslims. I could have done lots of other things. The point I'm trying to make is that some of the extremists in in any area, you're not going to make jokes about them in public. But, but that's not just their ethnic group. That's their, that's their political orientation. Yeah, very true. And and so I mean, if you're taking just an ethnic group, and and you're poking fun in a in a non invasive and on uh, 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 nasty sort of a way of doing it. Yep. I think you can still get away with it. Okay, Greg, I have to leave it there. Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. And uh, please, I didn't mean to offend anybody with my reference to fundamentalist militant. You know, it's just that was the first thing that popped into my head, and we all know exactly who we're talking about. It's not the Muslim people in our community. Uh, Jeff, Robert, thank you, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please join us tomorrow for the next edition of Talk of the Town. We're going to take a look at... Uh, healthcare in this country. Uh, for Ryan and Tara and Bob and Jeff, Jim saying take care of each other, mind how you're going. I've got to get out of here. Bye.